Well, hello everyone. This is Lisa DeNicolitz back with another episode of I Read Somewhere That. And I'm interested in Amazon. I mean, who isn't? And the other day I read this in the Business Insider. Amazon was almost given a completely different name. The company was originally called Cadabra, like the magic term, Abracadabra. But Jeff Bezos' lawyer told him that the magic reference was too obscure. And when you say it out loud, Cadabra could be mistaken for Cadaver. Cadaver, I'm not sure how you say that in American ways. Anyway, so eventually they came up with the name Amazon, a reference to the river in South America. The idea was that their selection of books would be vast and wide, just like the world's largest river. They did have many other names in mind and still own one of those domains. If you type in relentless.com in your browser, you will be directed to amazon.com. Another interesting fact is that the company started out selling books. When Jeff Bezos first started the company in 1995, it was just a bookstore run out of his home garage. So when Amazon first opened their first physical bookstore in 2015, he was staying true to the roots of the company. However, has he stayed true to being supporter of authors and writers? I'm not quite sure about that. Um, a fellow Canadian author and I were emailing back and forth the other day, and she said this about Amazon. She said, When the Rage Room came out, I purchased it on Amazon, but was not allowed to review it, presumably because I hadn't spent enough money on Amazon purchases. Well, a week ago, I bought a copy of Mystery Weekly magazine on Amazon because a story I wrote was in it. Two days ago, Amazon sent me an email asking me if I'd like to review it. Now, of course, I couldn't review it because I had a story in it. But the email also included the cover icons of books I'd purchased on Amazon over a number of years. And it asked me if I'd like to review them. Strange, isn't it? Amazon has gone from barring reviews to soliciting them. Granted, it doesn't seem we'll be able to review books we buy at author book launch launches, but it's a step in the right direction, and I wonder what prompted this, an upsetting absence of reviews of its books? And she went on to say this, One quibble I still have is that we Canadians still can't review books on Amazon.com. I'd like to review an author in the US, but a review on Amazon.ca wouldn't mean as much to her on Amaz as it would on Amazon.com. Now, what's distressing, she said, about this new Amazon move or change in policy is that it's forcing readers to decide whether purchasing on Amazon or attending author book launches and supporting independent bookstores like the Sleuth of Baker Street or Book City or any um, independent bookstore that you support. She said, I don't like it at all although it is a win for authors whose books have been purchased on Amazon. So yet again, Amazon is proving to be problematic when it comes um, to books and authors. So um, I'm just very interested in that. And that's something I hope we'll talk more about down the line. Um, so I generally try to stay away from supporting Amazon and I try and pour my love into small book presses and independent bookstores, which leads me to the next thing that I read somewhere, that something being a tweet, and I read it online on Twitter, obviously if it's a tweet. It was by Evan Monday, 
And please make no mistake, I love Evan Monday. I love him as a person. I love his books. And I think he's just thoroughly, thoroughly fantastic. But he quite, he tweeted this. He said, I realize it's actually very complicated and this tweet is glib, but I have often fantasized of a season of no new releases in books, which I thought was quite shocking. So I contacted him and I asked him what he was referring to. And he sent me a link to Publishers Weekly where I read this. A webinar held in early July sought to draw the attention to the growing challenges in the book industry's supply chain. Panelists pointed to shortages of truck drivers and trailers, congestions at ports, escalating transportation costs as factors that, in the words of Dave Hetherington, a book international VP of global business development, were putting more pressure on the supply chain than at any time he could remember. In the ensuing two months, things have gotten worse as printing capacity continues to shrink and labor shortages have made it difficult for printers, retailers and wholesalers to fully staff their businesses. So I get what he's saying and what Evan meant, um, but I was horrified to see 32 likes to the tweet and I immediately thought, well, those guys can't have books coming out or have their friends have books coming out because I don't think anybody would really want to do that. And I know it was probably a stop the world, I want to get off kind of thing. But, you know, 32 likes to a tweet saying, hey, let's put books to bed for a long nap kind of shocked me. Now, ECW and Inanna are urging pre-orders to help address this problem. And I think that's what we have to do. Um, support books by, you know, pre-ordering, not take a time out. And I say that with much love to Evan Monday, whose books I love. And as I say, I truly do understand um, what he meant. Things, things are in a bit of a crisis. Which brings me to the next crisis, and that is Canada's non-fiction crisis. And this was posted by Kenneth White, publisher of Sutherland Press, and uh, I always enjoy his stuff because he pulls no punches. He said, the shortlist for the 60,000 Hillary Weston Writers Trust Prize for nonfiction was announced this week. Not surprisingly, given the recent history of nonfiction in this country, all five of the nominees are memoirs. I have nothing against the memoir, he says. Sutherland House has published its share and will publish more. And we'll be happy to publish one if, if one gets nominated for an, a major award. If one of, and we'll be happy if one of them gets nominated for a major award. But the dominance of memoir in Canadian non-fiction world is a problem. Not because memoirs are bad, although the quality is uneven, as in any genre, but because the first person voice is not enough. Memoir can be a useful tool for exploring the world, but it is limited and is no substitute for well-researched, fact-based non-fiction. We need investigative journalism, history, biography, politics, current affairs, science and health books, if we are to understand ourselves <clears throat> Excuse me, and our times particularly with the conventional media slowly dying. But Canadian trade publishers are producing very little of it. He goes on to say this, Part of the problem is that granting agencies, led by the Canada Council, don't value researched non-fiction. 
They don't consider it art, so they don't fund it. They do support memoirs, which is another reason you get outcomes like the Western List. The irony is that memoir, the memoir requires less support. It is relatively inexpensive to produce, which is part of their attraction to publishers. And I'm going to end this podcast with a positive quote that I read from the Agents and Books newsletter. And the post is by Kate McKean. And she said this, I am not a you must write everyday person. One missed day and I get so discouraged. It leads me to an all or nothing mindset and that doesn't work for me. What works for me and what I want to work towards is writing most days. Most. What a welcome, attainable, forgiving concept. So I really like that quote. And I have my own personal rule is I do one thing a day for my writing. And it can be scribbling down a note on um, a post-it note, um, writing a quick email to myself. That's always been my rule. And I never judge myself whether it's a sentence or on a really good day, it's 10,000 words. But I haven't had one of those in a while because time's been a bit of a problem. So that's it for now. Happy reading and writing. And please get in touch with me if you have anything you'd like to share and have shared that you read somewhere. Thank you so much. Bye.